American, man. Let me out. And welcome to episode number 178 of the Random Thoughts Podcast. That is R-A-N-D-U-M-B thoughts.com online. I am your host, Darren O'Neill. And on today's show, we have a few sports-related stories that aren't completely sports-related. They're more human stories, human interests, which I found interesting. Of course, this is on the heels of a whole lot of bad stuff going on in the world. Be careful with your crypto. Elizabeth Warren is warning that those evil Russians might be using crypto to try to get around sanctions. The crypto values have been on a roller coaster recently. No surprise there. Gold is going up. Also, no surprise there as people try to find a steadying influence. But Major League Baseball is having itself another one of those years. And I remember how this almost killed the sport back in 1994. I believe it was the strike year where they started out in the spring with the non-normal players and then gave in because they realized what was going to happen. But Major League Baseball took a huge hit because fans do not want to see multimillionaires arguing with each other about money. I've complained about this quite a bit over the years, how Major League Baseball had gotten to the point where it's not even worth going to a game. If you're given free tickets and free parking even, it's still going to cost you 100 bucks if you want to have a couple of non-alcoholic beverages and some food. Now, if you want to drink, well, yeah, better. You better have a side hustle that can bring you in a little extra money. They're arguing to raise, among other things, the minimum salary for baseball players, which right now I believe is at 465000 or so. So I'm sorry. I don't really think you need a pay increase there. Like anything else, I believe players should be paid what they're worth. I don't believe the guy riding the pine who barely gets a chance to play needs a half a million or more to be in the game. I just don't. There's a lot of people that would do that job. And I think this is a reality check as the world is in a bit of turmoil. War going on. We have a pandemic still going on. That's at least waning at this point. But people have gone through hell for the past couple of years. So if you want to talk about bad optics, Major League Baseball, you're picking a very bad time for people to be able to point at you and just go, what a bunch of entitled jerks. Now, that's exactly what I'm doing, though, in the case of Brittany Griner, a WNBA star, they say. I mean, I don't know. Is there such a thing as a star in the WNBA? And I know that's such a sexist thing to say, but it's the WNBA. Ms. Griner's story, though, is making the national news because it it involves Vladimir Putin's Russia, where she plays basketball when the WNBA 
is not having their games. When they're not having their season, she goes over to Russia and plays for a team there where she makes astronomically more money, which I get it. Her salary in the United States with the WNBA, about $215,000 a year. Going over to Russia to play in the offseason, netting her about $1.5 million. So that's what, six, seven times her salary here making in Russia? I don't know. If you're getting paid in rubles, Bitcoin, whatever it is. But as most people would know, when you travel to a country like Russia, even though you're an American citizen now, Ms. Greiner is one of those players who does not want the American national anthem played before games, will turn her back. You know, those kind of protests going on, which you have a right to do in the United States. You have a lot less rights over in Russia where she's going to make more money. I mean, that's a capitalist, it sounds like to me, but she hates the United States. Okay. Goes over to Russia where their drug laws are extreme. And she goes over there with a carry-on containing enough cannabis vape cartridges to not only constitute her as somebody that is using, but it tipped beyond the amount that Russia uses for transporting to supply. So this means that at this point, Ms. Greiner is in a Russian jail and can possibly face up to 10 years in prison, but she's using her American privilege. I mean, she wants to say people have white privilege, and I'm sure all these other things that people have been complaining about. You know, if you're a white guy, you're straight, everything's bad. Well, she's trying to use her American privilege because she thinks she can flout the laws in a foreign country. She doesn't think she should be held responsible for these things. If you go to a foreign country, I hope this is not a surprise. If any of you are planning on traveling to a country, especially one that is perhaps less free than most. So if you're going to plan on going to China or Russia, someplace like that, and you think you can break the laws, and if you get caught, just go, hey, I'm an American, man, let me out. That's probably not going to go well for you. Now, she's been playing in Russia since 2015, so this is not something new for her. Of course, she's saying she's being targeted because, you know, she's a black woman. I'm sure that's exactly what's going on here. Or maybe more that she's an American because of what's going on in the world right now. I don't know, whatever it is. You can say you're being targeted for it, but is the contraband that they found yours, Ms. Greiner? If it is, uh, maybe it was unfair that they targeted you, but you broke their laws. You broke their laws. Now, Reggie Miller, former NBA star, Indiana Pacers, I mean, I don't even follow the NBA, and I know Reggie Miller, said, quote, I hope for a safe passage back for Brittany again. You know, not knowing all the particulars, I know it's not right for them to detain her. <laughs> what do you mean, Reggie? What do you mean you know it's not right for them to detain her? This is the same kind of 
asinine stuff like Barack Obama pulled out when his professor friend got pulled over. And he's like, well, the cops acted stupidly. Reggie, coming out and saying you have no idea what the particulars are, but they shouldn't be holding her. Did she break the law or not? You're not saying she didn't break the law. You're just saying you don't think Russia should hold her because you know she's an American. Yeah, but she's been going to Russia now for 70 years. She knows the law. She knows what's going on. Trying to use her privilege to get out of something, I find to be absolutely fantastic. I mean, I feel bad for her. But you know the situation that you're going into. If you have to have your cannabis vape juice, then you don't go play basketball in a country that says that's illegal, that says you can't do it, that says if you have as much as you had in your carry-on, you could do 10 years in prison. You thought you were above that. Why? Because you have your privilege. You have your money privilege. You have your American privilege. You have your star privilege, I guess, from being a WNBA player. But I think it's interesting that people look at this like she's the victim. Did you do it? Did you know it was against the law? This isn't something that was being hidden. Russia's pretty clear with their laws. It's not like you didn't know. Reggie Miller went on to say, I don't even think we know where she is. I'm sure the State Department does, but there is still very little information that's coming out of Russia right now. That's what's a little bit disturbing. Russia's a little busy right now, Mr. Miller. Russia is a little bit busy with a few other things going on. I'm guessing the case of a drug smuggler is not going to be the number one thing on everybody's mind. I'm sure that would be nice just because she's an American that that should be the case, but Russia don't care. Maybe you should figure that one out as well. Representative Sheila Jackson Lee of Texas said, quote, here's the point for all of those being held in Russia, all of those Americans being held in Russia on false charges. They should be released now. Okay, again, false charges, Ms. Lee. Did she or did she not have the cannabis vape cartridges in her possession that they are saying that she did? Now, if you're telling me that she does not use cannabis vape charges and she didn't have these, they planted them on her, that's an interesting story and start telling that one. But it seems to me that you just don't like the fact that an American citizen broke the law in Russia and is now being held accountable for it. And I get it. Nobody wants to hold anybody accountable for anything here in the United States. Well, wait, that's a lie. It seems just Democrats don't want to hold people responsible for their crimes here in the United States, especially if they have more pigmentation in their skin or if they cross the border illegally, then we want to wipe all that away. It's okay to commit crimes in the United States, according to the far left. And here's the funny thing, far left. You have no power in Russia. And you're seeing what happens when somebody breaks a law and is caught. They will be held accountable for it. And if Donald Trump was the president right now, a snap of his fingers in a phone call, to Russia would have gotten this taken care of, but you've got Joey! Yay! You've got Joey! What do you think Joey's going to do? Nothing. He doesn't know how to do anything. He doesn't hold any power with people in foreign countries like Russia. 
Joey is the weakest leader the United States has had in my lifetime and perhaps the weakest leader this country has ever had. So Joey doesn't seem to be able to be uh, getting Ms. Griner out of Russia. I mean, Kamala, she's over there. Why don't you send her to go to Russia? I mean, she seems to like to smoke the wacky stuff too, which is fine if you're here in the United States and it's legal. Send Kamala over there with some vape juice. See what happens. That would be funny. That would be interesting. Talk about an international incident. But I'm sure she would just laugh because that's all Kamala ever does. This isn't the first time this has happened in Russia. There have been a few other cases. A couple that have made the news was a woman, Nama Isachar, which I'm sure I'm butchering her name. She was 26, sentenced to more than seven years in prison on drug trafficking charges in Russia. The BBC reported that Vladimir Putin did pardon her in January of 2020 ahead of a visit of Benjamin Netanyahu because Ms. Isachar was Israeli. A New York-based film student also charged with drug possession in St. Petersburg, Russia, for allegedly taking some medical marijuana into the country. This was in September of 2019, which, of course, you could pull out your little card. You know, medical marijuana. You know what the Russian authorities think of that? Your medical marijuana card from the United States? Nothing. They don't care. Which is why if you're traveling to a foreign land, you must know the laws. You must be aware of what you can and cannot do. And if you break those laws, you cannot count on the fact that, hey, I'm just a dumb American. And they're going to let you go. That's just not the way it's working anymore. The film student with the medical marijuana card ended up being held in a detention center for more than a month and then fined $230. So it's going to be interesting to see where this story goes. Joey, I'm sure, is in charge. I'd love to hear that phone call between Joey and Vladimir. If you can even get him on the phone at this point. I wish Ms. Griner well. But this is what happens when you break a law in a foreign country. You talk your own country down because, you know, you're being oppressed here. Maybe this will change your mind a little bit, but I doubt it. That's rarely what happens with people with that kind of a mindset that they're going to wake up and see that maybe they've been a little bit off in their perception. But we'll see. Now, in a much lighter note. There has been some movement in the ticket stub collecting hobby, which I barely knew was even a thing. I've been going to sporting events my whole life, concerts, all that kind of stuff, and I have plenty of ticket stubs, but most people do, and they are nothing but mementos of something that you attended. Up until recently, they weren't really considered all that collectible at all. Now that market has exploded over the last few years and there's some ticket stubs that are out there that have always been worth something that are going way up in value now because of different world events. I mean a lot of it I think is the fact that most sporting teams now, most major league franchises do not even do the paper ticket thing. Everything is digital, so tickets are now a relic of a bygone 
era, which is making them a little bit more interesting. A lot were very plain, not a whole lot to see, so they weren't all that interesting. Some ticket stubs, like the Chicago White Sox, when my parents had season tickets, they start making them into little works of art. And each ticket stub had a different image on it, so they were made a little bit collectible there. But overall, any average game for any Major League Baseball event, you know, it might be worth a buck. The only ticket stub I paid much attention to over the years was the one from the 1980 Lake Placid Olympics Miracle on Ice game that my father and my sister were at. So they each have a ticket stub from that. And for years, you would see that climbing. At first, it was two or 300 bucks. Then it was 600 bucks. Now they are being graded by things like the PSA company, other companies that will actually now do gradings on these like they will with sports cards, meaning if it was completely in mint condition and not bent and well-centered and not fading, the better condition, the more value that is being placed on these ticket stubs. The Miracle on Ice game at this point I've seen some go for thousands of dollars. Again, if you believe what you see on eBay, eBay's a cesspool. You can't always believe everything that you see there. But up until a couple of weeks ago, the most expensive ticket stub ever sold was for Michael Jordan's first game. A used ticket stub went for $264,000. So this is a Bulls game in 1984. I would have been 14 at the time, and man, do I wish I was a Bulls fan. Do I wish I would have been at that game? Because that is absolutely insane. But Michael Jordan is a magical, mythical figure when it comes to the sports collecting world. And pretty much anything he touches goes way way up in value there is a basketball i mean everybody knows of sports cards and rookie cards and all of that top still producing baseball cards although i think uh, that's changing soon there was a whole bunch of companies when i was a kid that would make cards donruss and fleer and tops and others and then there were imprints of those you know tops would make different sets but there is a Michael Jordan card that wasn't really a card, and it wasn't considered a true rookie card for years because it was something that was printed up by the Boy Scouts here in Chicago, just a small group that gave these out at some event. Or The story is so muddled at this point that nobody seems to know exactly what the purpose of this Jordan card was. They made two cards, one of Michael Jordan, one of Orlando Woolridge. There were no writings. There was nothing on the back. These were just plain white backs, and they were larger than a sports card. So they were never seen as a card because they were quite a bit larger. So it was basically like, hey, we've printed up some pictures to give away of these basketball stars for whatever reason, the Boy Scouts. For years, this was not even on the radar of the collecting world as anything. 
PSA, I believe it was, decided that they were going to start treating this as a rookie card. They allowed people to send these things in to be graded. And you will now see cards, if that's what you want to call them, you'll see this particular item selling on eBay. Again, cesspool, don't always trust what you can see. But if these things were graded on the higher end, they're pushing $10,000. Again, something that was never even thought of as anything for years, toiled away, wasn't even thought of as a collectible now is. Ticket stubs, very much the same way. Because one of these ticket stubs, as I said, was the record. $264,000 for a used ticket stub from Michael Jordan's first game with the Chicago Bulls. Now, a story broke on this because that was a lot of money to spend for a ticket stub with the date, you know, where it was. And that is where a guy named Mike Cole comes into the picture. He was a freshman at Northwestern University here in Chicago back in 1984. His father, who was a lifelong Washington Bullets fan, decided to surprise his son with a pair of tickets for an October Bulls and Bullets game at Chicago's stadium. And Cole asked multiple classmates if they wanted to go with him. He said he couldn't find anybody to attend, but it wasn't a surprise. I mean, it was the Bulls and the Bullets, and nobody knew who Michael Jordan was. This was long before most people cared about basketball here in Chicago. He said, quote, I was only a month or two into school. I wasn't that surprised or disappointed that no one would go with me. So he went to the game by himself. The tickets were at will call for him. So he went in. Of course, they ripped one of the stubs. And the other one, since nobody went with them, he had a full unused ticket stub that he just kept in a box. Not really sure why he threw away the stub, but he kept the full ticket as a memento. He said it traveled through box to box, through different downsizing, different moves where he moved around, but he always kept that as a keepsake. He's not a collector, does not really save anything, does not invest in cards or anything like that, trying to make money. And he saw the story about Michael Jordan's first game and the ticket stub that sold for $268,000 and went, holy cow, I, I think I have a stub. For, wait, I think I have a full ticket for that game. And that is what was auctioned off a couple of weeks ago. It was guesstimated that the thing could go for up to a million dollars. So maybe it's a little disappointing that it only went this unused ticket stub for Michael Jordan's first basketball game in the NBA for $468,000. I know right now anybody in Chicago that used to go to Bulls games in 1984 is rushing to wherever those ticket stubs are to see if they can find one of these. The director of the auction house for Heritage Auctions, Chris Ivey, said that the winning bidder for the Jordan ticket wanted to remain anonymous, but was obviously a passionate Michael Jordan fan. And he said that this has become increasingly something that is 
gaining money, that is gaining value, these ticket prices, these stubs. And he said a stub to Jordan's debut game back in 2018 sold for $33,000. I mean, again, I would take that today, but that is now up to a well-preserved stub, 268000 and an unused stub, the only one known in existence, sold for $468,000. And these are the rarities, but anything Michael Jordan touches is absolutely insane. When he made his foray, all brief that it may have been, into baseball, there's even a White Sox ticket from a day he took batting practice where a photo was captured of him and made into an upper deck trading card. Tickets for that game selling for over $1,000 a piece. So if you have any Jordan stuff hanging around, now is the time to check on the value. But most tickets, not something that is going to make you a half a million bucks or thousands of dollars. Most tickets are still fairly worthless when it comes to a monetary value. Most are still for the keepsake of an event that you went to. But I recently talked to a guy named Tony Swan, who is known as one of the largest Carlton Fisk collectors in the world. He even owns carltonfisk.com, a website where he shows off, among other things, his ticket collection, which all started as a conversation with a buddy of his, kind of a bet, where he wondered, as a big Carlton Fisk fan, how hard would it be to amass a collection that would have a ticket stub from every game Carlton Fisk played in throughout his Hall of Fame career? Now, for those of you who don't follow baseball, Carlton Fisk played in 2,499 games. Mr. Swan was very mad that he didn't get one more because 2,500 would have been great. But going back and trying to find a random ticket stub from games that pretty much didn't mean much in the box scores. I was at Mark Burley's perfect game here in Chicago, as were 20,000 or so of my best friends. And of course, the minute a perfect game is thrown, you hold on to those ticket stubs because you know there's something special. In the case of trying to collect a ticket from the game, every game that a major league player had been in for that many games was something that Mr. Swan found out is not an easy thing to do. He's been trying this now for close to 20 years and still needs about 50 tickets of that 2,499. But with that said, He's found about 2,450 of the tickets that just is mind-boggling to me, but he did it through hard work. He would go to cities like Minnesota, where the White Sox played a lot of games when Carlton Fisk was with the White Sox, and he would have a booth at the local sports card shows saying, I'm buying tickets, I'm paying cash. And this is a case of somebody that has spent way more money to put a collection together than what that collection would be worth. Now, he's closing in 
And if he gets to that full 25, 2,499 tickets, the value on that whole collection is still not going to be worth all that much. I mean, unless you find another really, really diehard Carlton Fisk collector. But he said that is the whole joy of this, is that it's not being done for the money. It's being done strictly for fun because it's not like, hey, if I put this together, I'm going to have something worth a half a million bucks. This whole collection is not going to be worth anywhere near what that one Michael Jordan ticket went for for his first game. But it is a, uh, I think, a valid and fun way to get involved with something to collect something that is one really hard to find, but also something that is not worth big bucks. So it's easy to get started. You can buy hundreds of tickets for, you know, a hundred bucks. There's people that will sell you 5,000 ticket stubs that they've got sitting around for a couple hundred bucks because they're not really worth anything. Now, if you find one of those Jordan tickets or you find an event here and there that have some kind of value to them, that's a bonus, I would suppose. But for me, it leads to a very interesting way to collect. You can pick your favorite player, collect all of the games they appeared in, like Mr. Swan's done with Carlton Fisk. You can choose something like no hitters and try to get a ticket stub from every no hitter thrown. You can pick all sorts of weird things with baseball and try to collect those stubs. Same thing with any other sport. Figure out a collection that would mean something to you and go for it. And if you may have one of those tickets that Mr. Swan is looking for with the Carlton Fisk games, you can go to his website, carltonfisk.com. His wish list is there, as well as photos of all of the tickets, which I found interesting just looking at the ticket stubs throughout the year, seeing how they've changed and seeing the really plain tickets turn into something more of pieces of art as it went along. And it is, I think a shame that they stopped using paper tickets in so many places in lieu of these digital things, flashing your phone, showing a QR code. I don't know. Maybe I'm just old. What say you? Do you collect something that's a little strange? Do you collect ticket stubs? What kind of collection do you have? Let me know. Darren, D-A-R-R-E-N at random, R-A-N-D-U-M-B thoughts.com. With that said, I do want to thank everybody for listening to this podcast, giving me your time. There are a lot of things you can be doing with your time, and it is greatly appreciated that you are listening to the Random Thoughts podcast. We do work on the value for value model, which means we put those shows out there. And if you get any value out of these, you decide what kind of value you've gotten. Then you go to randomthoughts, R-A-N-D-U-M-B, thoughts.com slash donate and get the value back to us in a monetary form. You can do so via PayPal, crypto, P.O. box address, or you can boost and stream us some stats. Stats? No, that's baseball cards. You can stream us some sats, Satoshis, if you're using a podcasting 2.0 app, newpodcastapps.com for all of the information. But we do have two people to thank for today's show, including Lydia Terry, who's coming in at $33. That is very much appreciated. Hopefully, we help you get your Comcast bill down or something like that. But either way, we appreciate you being a supporter of the random thoughts podcast and our buddy graham stanton down in australia where things are always fun i'm thinking 
$5 monthly donation. We appreciate that. F cancer. And hopefully everything's starting to get back to normal in Australia. I mean, I know there's going to be some nuclear submarines from the U.S. coming your way soon. I don't know if that's good or bad, but that is for another podcast. We thank everybody for supporting this show. We hope you can get involved. We do hope you're getting something out of the show. And if you are, let us know. And if there's something you want me to talk about, let me know again. Darren at randomthoughts.com. With that said, I will be back next week for another episode. Until then, I am Darren O'Neill. Thanks for listening.